Welcome to the Career Conversations podcast brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. My name's Craig McGregor and today we have an excellent conversation, a really insightful chat with Chris Travers. Chris was most recently the general manager of the rebuild at Stockland's Greenhills and has since been promoted and we talk about that in his podcast. But the greatest part of this is a real transition, a change. It's a fascinating chat about someone who was in professional sport and talked about openly about that life and living the dream and how it was challenging, but more importantly, how he transitioned from that career into another career and some of the lessons that he learned from that. But it's also quite a great chat just about life in general and and what's important to individuals. The work that he did at Stocklands, you think about it and go, yeah, they just built a a new shopping centre and what does that mean? But what he and the way that he conveys in uh, his appreciation for the project, it was really about enhancing the community and delivering something that our region really needed. So please sit back and enjoy our conversation with Chris Travers. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group, specialists in permanent recruitment, labour hire and HR consulting. Start a conversation with us today via our website, hrgroup.com.au or at our socials, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. So welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, Chris Travers. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Great. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. We've heard you speak at Maitland Business Chambers a couple of times as you've been working on the redevelopment here at Stockland Green Hills, but I want to hear about your career and your story and how you've got there. So tell me where you no. started. Bit of fun. It's uh, the last couple of years, mate. So Yeah, I bet. Uh, very exciting, but uh, yeah, strange one for me. So, you know, I guess started off in golf yeah, years okay. and years ago. Um, so straight out of school? Straight out of school. Yep. We're studying pretty hard at school. Grew up, grew up with a uh, doctor father, so it was, shall I go into medicine? He was pushing me quite hard, doing some uh, four-unit maths and physics, chemistry, all those good things, but it was interesting because he was super keen to be a golf pro um, yeah, okay. when he was young and couldn't make it, ended up being a doctor. So he, was he the one that got you into golf? Yeah, Started got me, you into golf? That's it, exactly right. So I started playing with dad, having a few hits. I fell in love with golf. Um, I fell out of love with four-unit maths. Yep. And, uh, that can be easily done. Uh, easy, <laughs> yeah, really easy. And, um, yeah, started getting good at golf, kept Where playing. Whereabouts were you playing? Where did you grow up? Grew up in, originally in Carring Bar, but the golf started in Camden. So yeah, okay. uh, just five minutes from the local golf course. Uh, every minute I could get on the golf course, I was there hitting balls, practicing uh, in the dark, you know, usual thing, getting the mum drop you off straight after school, pick you up when it's pitch black. And fell in love with golf, yeah, fell out of love with um, maths. And, yeah, the family were really good about it. Dad was good. Um, so were you, were you, was it early on? Was it like at a young level you were playing at an, an elite level? You were winning tournaments at a local, yeah. state, national? Tell me about that. So I became uh, sort of a really good amateur from about 15 to 17, and that was probably the surprise, starting to get quite good in year 10, uh, year 11, year 12, in the important education period as well. Yeah, okay. My golf started to take off. So I was like, what am I going to do here? And uh, there was a local pro where I was playing. He actually spoke to me in start of year 12 and said, maybe you should think about being a, an apprentice golf pro. So um, that's what happened. So was that, that career path similar to what he does? So I'll become an apprentice golf, golf pro, work on a course, help the locals with some coaching and, and look after the, that club. Was that the Yeah, that's path? right. Yeah, so he's the club pro there. Exactly yep. right. Has the shop, has the business, uh, does a lot of teaching, 
um, you know, club repairs, looks after the members, that sort of thing. So I became quite good friends with Brett. And then he said, you know, you've, you've probably got a future in golf if you want here. And at the, at the time, I was still studying quite hard. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know what, maybe this is, I can get serious here. So I spoke to the folks about it. And Dad was really supportive and just said, you want to be a golf pro, that's fine. But you treat it like a job. You yeah. work hard just as if you would if you were going to study or go to uni, etc. As long as you work hard, I'll back you. So, um, so do you think up, you would have done it if you didn't have that backing? That's pretty, pretty good from a parent. It was good, and it was back then as well. There was, you know, the, the Australian tour when we went playing golf wasn't super strong either in regards to prize money. So you really needed someone to look after you. It was hard to get sponsors. Um, so mum and dad were really good with the first few years when I went out playing, just backed me and, you know, just paid for me just to get around Australia because it was mainly Australian tour. Yeah, so you're playing like in New South Wales or all over Australia? Uh, spent a lot of time up in Queensland. Yep. Um, I mean, going back a step, I did the couple of years apprenticeship with Brett where yeah, okay. you learn how to run a business. Is it a formal apprenticeship like an electrician? Do you go to TAFE or what you do, work? You do like a, a small business degree or certificate, I should say, through Griffith University was back then. Yeah, okay. You sign up through the PGA of Australia. They hook you up um, with some online training, that sort of stuff. And it goes for the, the full period. So you learn how to run a small business. Um, What's the, the time period? Is it three years, four yeah, years? Three years? Yeah, three years. Yep. Three years. So then we do that. We learn how to teach, you know, so we can teach the members, that sort of stuff. And we can fix clubs, all that. And at the same time, you've got to have a certain... Um, playing ability you've got to hit certain scores and yep. targets over years to become a fully qualified pro at the end of your uh, traineeship so three years and i was done and then hit the uh hit the tour what's the economics or the supply and demand of that trade is there a lot of people going through that apprenticeship at the time or was it minimal people and was there like think about not playing on the tour but if you finish that apprenticeship yep. was there many jobs available at, at courses yeah it's really that's a good question really tough actually because uh, there's a lot of young kids playing golf who want to be a golf pro and you can either go two ways you can go into the uh tour school which is something like the shark and you know yep. everyone knows greg norman so yeah. the, the really great players the top, of the pyramid, isn't it? top of the pyramid straight to the tour school and they have a become a tour player and they have to earn enough prize money to keep their card every year um for me, and was a bit more and a bit more of a uh, backup, I guess you say, to do an apprenticeship. So, even if I didn't make enough money on the tour, I could still then go back and be a club pro, run yep. a business, um, you know, look after the members, that sort of stuff, do some teaching because I would I would always be a PGA pro no matter how much prize money I was earning. Yep. Where, you know, guys that went through tour school, if they lose, don't make enough money, miss their tour card, they're done. They've you know, yeah, no back, back to amateur status, what do they do? So that was the good thing. Dad pushed me through and said, you can do it, but I want you to do the apprenticeship. So if anything goes wrong, you've got this backup. Yep. And at the time, I was like, you're crazy. I'm going to be the best golfer in the world. I don't, know. I don't need to do an you apprenticeship. You can only see the top of yeah, the pyramid. I was like, no way. You know, I'm just going to go out. I'm going to smash it. I'm going to be a millionaire. Uh, and it's funny, at the time, um, you know, he just said, no, you've got to do it. And look what's happened. In mm. the end, um, where I am today... The interviews I've gone through over the years, they've said, you know, because I'm re- really in a property retail background now, yep. it's where did you start? And I started off in a retail golf shop, yeah, doing that apprenticeship, yep. learning how to run a business. So if I hadn't done that, yeah, um, and it's not just about playing ability, I guess, as well. Things have happened through 
the, the tour, you know, you get injuries, mm. uh, wrist injuries. You can't play any more back injuries. Things change. So it wasn't just about if you're going to make enough money. Yeah. Um, I'm always fascinated. I, when I, I studied my master's a few years back now and, and part of that a major project that I did was I did a project called The Career Coach for Sports People because uh, oh. I wanted to talk to sports people about their career post-sport because yep. it's really interesting what you were just talking about. There's really only a couple of ways that your career ends. You, you either get cut by a coach yep. in a team sport, you get injured yep. or you get chaired off as a champion and retire on your own steam. Yep. That last one doesn't happen very often. No. no so and then, if yeah. you don't have a backup, where do you fall back to? Not everyone gets a job in media on the sideline uh, right. commenting at the end, do That's they? That's exactly right. So yeah, that was one thing from, from Dad. He made very clear that yeah, you can be a golf pro, but do the apprenticeship. I won't. I'm not keen on you doing the tour school way. So you have a backup. Yep. So. So thankful for that now. I am now. Yeah. At the time, he was crazy, uh, but <laughs> and it was going to slow me down three years before I could get on the tour. But yeah. Did you enjoy the business coaching side of that apprenticeship as well as playing? Um, I think as a young kid back then. It was something to do. You had to do to get out and play. So you had to do um, it. It was a bit of a task. Yeah, it was a bit of a task. You're, you've got the head pro there pushing you around, telling you what to do. Uh, but you're a young kid. You get it done. All you wanted to do was be on the, the golf course. Guessing the wages weren't the greatest either. Oh, year one, five, five <laughs> bucks an hour. Yeah. You know, I, I remember first year trainee, 200 bucks a week for my 40 hours, 26 bucks tax. Yep. I got 174. <laughs> If Brett Chappell's listening to this, I remember he paid me one week in $5 notes and my wallet was just thick of fivers. And I was just, uh, and off to, you know, Molly Maguire's at, in Camden on the Friday night for... As all the young kids as you do. do. With, with a, yeah, a wallet full of $5 notes. So, um, yeah, it was all about getting on the golf course yep. as, and getting out and playing as quickly as you could. Um, so, no, it was, it was an interesting uh, few years. Did you get onto the tour? Playing. Did you get into the... Played Australia tour for a, a couple of years. Played Queensland. Yep. Um, did did okay in Queensland. Won a couple of tournaments. That then uh, I went over to Canada and played for a year. Hmm. Um, took off over there. Well, it wasn't quite a year, but I got over there for a little while with some money that I earned in Australia. And then um, not long after that, I think is when we came back, settled, got married. Shannon and I got married. Um, settled with Alex the first little fella in a club job at Goulburn. So we were a club pro down there. Yeah, so okay. that was, you know, we decided to settle down and it was really, it's really hard to make a huge amount of cash unless you are at the very top. Did and you miss the tour? Yeah, I did. And, um, you know, so this guy, you've got to be patient. I think the thing is with, with golf, a lot of the guys I saw and played golf with, a lot of them have made it now and they, they've really hung in there for 15, 20 years and you really it's got a long to, game. It is a long game. You need backing, you need um, patience, you know, you need to be healthy as well, obviously, like in regards to, you know, a fit body and, you know, good muscles and good bones because you're constantly grinding out there on the golf course. So mm. it's probably about, you need the skills, but also need to have the desire and the motivation to keep hanging in there. Most guys will get established on a tour somewhere and, and make a living out of it if they can hang in there. Mm. Um, but, you know, priorities change for me. And, well, I was going to um, say, did, did the children change that? Did you go, yeah. I, I don't want to be <clears throat> carting my golf bag around and playing golf when the little ones are growing up without me and you wanted to be established? And That's it. Yep. Alex was born and, uh, yeah, we had the club job at Goulburn, so we had a few years down there and uh, set the business up. You know, getting, getting a, a business set up was, was interesting from scratch as well, so that really helped me as well, understanding how that all worked. Yeah, I, as much as I'd been a trainee, 
I hadn't actually done it myself from mm. the get-go. So we were there for about three or four years. And uh, then not long um, after that, I went back playing again. I actually ran into, became really good friends with Marcus Ambrose. Yeah, okay. Uh, we can do some name-dropping here. <laughs> um, Sounds good. But was very good friends with Marcus through uh, playing actually before I was a club pro. Yep. And I remember he came to me um, after Eastern Creek and offered me to go playing in Asia, play the Asian tour. Because Australian tour, there's not a lot of cash. So yeah, okay. we took off. Um, so did the family come with you? They stayed in Australia. They yep. came over a couple of times. Yep. But um, Marcus was really good and just said, look, I'm happy to contribute and give you some cash. Legitimate sponsor deal. Mm-hmm. You can go and play golf. I want you to be able to go and play with no yeah, no, uh, no pressure. Yep. So he paid for everything, which was really great. Uh, airfares, accommodation, caddy fees, yardage books, everything. You know, he got us a Ford from yep. Port Australia for yep. the wife to drive around in. He just looked yeah, after his, you. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was good times. Um, and so we were able to get back overseas and, and play with no pressure. Hmm. Uh, and Did it make you play better? Yeah, no it was good because you could. I knew I was going to the next tournament. Yeah. So... I knew if I, you know, I was in Singapore one week, it didn't matter if I missed the cut, I'm still going to China next week, you know, and I'm mm. just, a lot of guys will be playing, looking to make the cut, make sure they've got some cash to get to next week, where yeah. I was very much, um, that pressure was off, and I was just able to play freely, and um, yeah, I was up there for about four years, made more cuts than I missed, so it was pretty, it was a pretty successful period, I used to give Marcus a percentage of my prize money, so we were yep. like partners in, um, partners in crime, I guess. Uh, but that was really exciting too because then I got to play a bit more, play overseas, which I'd always wanted to do, but it's always a challenge without that hmm. backing. And I uh, got to go to some great places. We played um, Pakistan one year, yeah, you know, wow. played the Pakistan Open, which was crazy, getting picked up by armed... Is the course just bunkers, one big bunker? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was actually in the Navy base because it's yeah, so, okay. we're trying to be so um, secure and they were so you know, so worried about the risks there. Yep. Um, so it was all there was no crowd because it was all behind. Yeah, well, um, they haven't played cricket there for yeah decades. Yeah, so we we were there. I think it was two thousand and six, mate. We were there. Yeah, wow. And I often laugh because they hadn't found our mate Osama yeah, yeah. bin Laden, and he's a, he's up the road. <laughs> Asian tours telling us we're going to be safe, and we had but we we had guards everywhere. And then years later, I find out he was just up the just road, just literally around the corner. So yeah, so I got to play some really great places over there. You know. We, um, China, Macau, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, um, India. I went to India one year and, um, you know, that was pretty funny. You see cobras going across the fairways and mongoose chasing cobras yeah, and wow. this sort of stuff. So, um, don't see that at East Maitland. Uh, no, <laughs> no, you don't. But yeah, no, I do consider myself yeah. pretty fortunate. Got I, to see um, a good part of the world, travel, yeah. do something you love, get paid to do it. 100%. Living the dream. Wife's always uh, quick to remind me about uh, how fortunate I've been because I sort of started my next career late and, uh, we, you know, I talk about how I need to and have wanted to catch up on that. And she said, you've got to remember what, what you've done the first part yeah. of your life. Because yep. I often forget about the golf and those Well, it's almost the reverse of yeah. life, isn't it? Most people dream of retiring and playing golf for the rest yeah. of their life where you've done that at an early age. First. Yeah. yeah. Very so, good. Yeah, so no, that so was... So let's talk about the next step. Yeah, so you finish your golf career. Yeah, so after that, um, I was up in Asia still playing and then second child came. So um, Alex was f- five and James was just about to be born. So I came back uh, just 
determined to sort of stop for six months or so yep. and breathe, and enjoy, breathe the kids. enjoy the kids but once I stopped playing I was like oh you know this is why am I doing this yep. um, why am I traveling I was sort of heading up to Asia for four or five weeks at a time and, and that's, then home for a week well, that's a you know people do that in we'll call it normal life you know if someone's doing FIFO as a minor or mm. they're in a sales role with a big company and they're traveling yep. and they go I just want to be at home with my kids. Yep. Some people listening to this might go, hang on a sec, this guy's playing golf. Yep. What a dream. How could you walk away from that? But it's not what you wanted to do. Yeah, that's crazy. That's right. Because I had a, actually had a few golf pro mates when I didn't go back saying, what are you doing? Because yeah. Marcus ran out of money. And he'd gone to NASCAR then and yeah, okay. he's earning mega bucks. And yep. I'm like, no, he's got plenty of cash. I'm just done with it. Mm. And they're like, does he want to sponsor anyone else? <laughs> I'll you take know, so place. They were lining up. But... Um, you're right, priorities just changed and I had, a, had six months or so where I was just at home and I'd missed so much of Alex growing up. I didn't want to do the same with James and just yep. said, time to be a better father and husband and yep. um, be around home. So it was, okay, what can I do next? And uh, just relied on the retail background. So mm. dad was right um, in the end, of course, the because there you go, there. the golf that I was going to do forever, uh, make you know, a trillion dollars and just kick back on my boat didn't yep. happen for different reasons and he was right. So uh, able to rely on that traineeship I did and uh, spoke to, started speaking to retail recruiters about mm -hmm. what can I do. I didn't really want to go back into golf and just go back to the club job and yep. get you wanted something bigger. I want to try something different. Yep. And... Uh, the retail recru re retail recruiters were in uh, Sydney and got me a job in a small shopping centre in Castle Hill. And Do you reckon, because I'm a big believer in relationships, yep. conversations as part of getting a job, do you think you're, you're quirky or not quirky but different background in this great pos position of golf, do you yep. think that would have helped get you in front of people? You know... It's a good question and at the time I thought, how am I going to get a job? Yeah. All I've done is golf. Seriously, how am I going to get in another part of the workforce with this? So I met the recruiters and told them and they were like, yeah, no, we think um, QIC were really good. They were looking for someone who was pretty green actually in, in regards to running shopping centres because yep, it had they had trouble. To train them. Yeah, they'd, they'd had some guys through there with some you know preconceived ideas and turned them over quickly and it was probably... A, um, a bit of good fortune that my timing was right but the guys at QIC said to me afterwards that they really liked that sporting mm. background of the the drive and the motivation you have to do to play Dedication. a professional sport mm. so they were asking me questions about what I was doing when I wasn't playing tournaments I'm like oh, well I was just practicing all day mm. and I said what are you, what if it's raining I said yeah I put wet weather gear on <laughs> I knew if I wasn't hitting balls someone, someone else is mm they're going to beat me so afterwards they said we gave you the gig because of the drive you've shown for the first 10 mm. years of your career or 15 years of playing golf they really liked that where i walked in thinking yeah i'm just a golf pro yep. my god how am i going to get through this yep um so that was a good learning point for me because i had never seen that as a real strength to anyone else but they they saw that drive um of wanting to do well mm. just in a different arena and they said yeah we can use that teach you the technical skills but we know the attitudes there that most drive. of the time i guess yeah that drive's um, going to help you yeah so yeah, yeah so, so tell me about really that good. job so what was it it was a small shopping center in castle hill uh, castle mall so they threw me straight in as a center manager which was uh wow i know so like crazy no retail manager or assistant or center manager i had an admin manager and a a uh, ops manager there was three of us i was thinking it was a franklin's and about 50 shops 
I remember walking around there after they'd said, you can, you've got the job, went and had a look at it with the wife. We were walking through it and I said, well, I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> what, how the hell are we going to do this? Um, and Who's was, going to be my caddy? Was, yeah, what am I going to do here? <laughs> Where, that's right, who's going to tell me what to hit? So, um, yeah, it was daunting. But, you know, Sham was, you can do this, you've got the smarts, rely on the people. QIC were great too because the, they had Castle Towers across the road and mm. they owned them all. So they actually used all their team. Um, their ops, you know, their senior guys as my mentors. Yeah, great. So they were you know, a really supportive team where they gave me all their time and just threw everything at me, even though they had the big centre across the road, mm. to give me that technical skill and that I could run with. So being green and keen, I was learning as quickly as I could. I just did as much training through the property council as I could to try and get my head around um, property and shopping yep. centres. And, uh, yeah, I you know, really fell in love with it and just how dynamic a shopping centre can be from day to day. Hmm. So why? Tell me why is a shopping centre exciting? Just you don't know what you're going to get every day. Yep. I think that it's... Um, even yesterday, uh, it's different, you know, I've got a range of different centres at the moment, but things happening in different centres. We had a car on fire yesterday on a roof. We had some... Uh, we had disgruntled customers yesterday about cash for cans. Yeah, okay. comes at you at different... And then you've got... Um, you know, the, even the constant changing of a shopping centre that's so exciting mm. um, that you can see with the community is changing stores over, you know, mm. putting in a new store um, every couple of years when you're turning over a new retail and you can see the excitement yeah, that okay. you're doing for the community, I guess. Yep. So I think that's where you get you get to see the excitement and the change you can make to your community because yeah. often the shopping centre is the, yeah, the it's hub. It's a hub or a hub, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it became very exciting and... I think really, really lucky because I've gone from playing golf for 15 years of my you know, career to what am I going to do? Am I going to job hop? Am I going to be searching? Not yep. sure what I was going to do. It's but, interesting that you found it quite quickly too. And that's right. And now um, I've been doing this for 12 years now yep. in shopping centres. So. so how long did you last in, in Castle Hill? Not long. I was only there for 12 months yep. and then same recruiter came and spoke to me about a job in Stockland, Cairns. They're good people, those recruiters, aren't oh, they? Oh, <laughs> they're the best. They're, they all look after you, the good ones. And, um, yeah, they came and said that it was a good job in Stockland, Cairns. They yeah, were doing okay. a, a small redevelopment up there. And were we interested in moving to Cairns? We'd been pretty mobile, obviously, through, yeah, golf. through golf. The wife and I had been moved 12, 13 times, I think, um, over the golf period. So we thought, yep, yeah, kids are still young. Uh, opportunity to shoot up to Cairns for a couple of years, so we we um, took that opportunity to join Stockland. They were, you know, really focused on their training and learning and development of the of their staff, and that was really interesting to me because mm. I was still really green. Yep. And the recruiter was like, "These guys are really forward in training their guys and bring them through." They said, "This is where you want to go." So I was like, "Cairns so is a Stockland's long way." So Stockland was a big step up from was it CIC or uh, QIC? It? QIC. QIC. Was that a big step? Uh, yeah, like Stockland have 40-odd shopping centres. QIC have about 10, 12. Yep. They have a lot of big centres, but Stockland, um, and being diversified as well, they've got the res residential and they've yep. got the retirement living and uh, office industrial, so there was lots of opportunities if I wanted to move around through yeah, the company. Okay. Uh, but Cairns was very appealing, obviously, just because... Yeah. lovely part of the world. ...size of the fish. Yep. Yeah, so, <laughs> and uh, so we took off to Cairns and we're up there for a couple of years, was... That was a great period as well. So what brought you to the Hunter? Uh, it wasn't the fish. 
because <laughs> I think we were catching fish bigger than you and I in the Hunter. That's the old uh, the old chamber joke. But um, yeah, the Hunter hasn't delivered on the on the fish on the Hunter River at this yep. point. But um, yeah, Cairns was great because we got to do a small redevelopment, and then there was the talk of the Green Hills project. Yeah. So you came, you came to do that. Yeah. But tell me about that because you came here. How many years ago did you come here? We've been here now for eight years. So eight years. Yeah. And so it was eight years ago she was going to go, wasn't it? It was 2010. I remember speaking to the GM of development. I was in Cairns. I was on the desk and uh, they said six to 12 months will be started. So, uh, you know, wife wasn't super keen because we were loving Cairns. Obviously, we'd been there for a couple of years and bought a house and we were pretty established up there. And um, but we knew what a great project this was going to be. You know, back then it was about three hundred and twenty million dollar project. I think two thousand ten we were sort of looking at three twenty, and uh, we knew what a great opportunity it was. So we spoke about it for a month or so, and then yep. uh, said, "Look, it's time." It's to interesting do it. that that conversation with your wife. I've had that with my wife. It's that dream job or dream career opportunity versus, "Hey, we love where we live, what we're doing, yeah. kids, that sort of stuff." So to have that conversation and have the backing of your wife to go, okay. Yeah, we're going to follow your dream. We're going to go and move to the Hunter. Yeah, um, that's a great partnership. Yes, it uh, it was a tough conversation, but um, I think you know you probably get a feel for what I've done already. We, we'll take a punt, yep. and we've moved around a lot. Um, and yeah, it was a, it really was a good opportunity. And three hundred and twenty five million cans project was probably only about thirty, but it gave us a taste of those little wins like we yep. said we delivered a new coals and a new library and a new gym and things in Cairns and you could just see the small little impact you can have on your community by doing that and then they showed us this huge one they were doing in you know at the Hunter Green Hills so tell me about because you came here to do that yeah and obviously the project it's now complete yeah. but it's stalled in 2010 yeah so how that did was, that impact your career yeah well that was tricky as well because uh, a lot of the guys within the group they'll move around they'll do a couple of years and then you know move to another centre and um, move through the business, they might you know, get to a bigger centre and then a regional role and that sort of stuff. You know, They'll, they'll climb the ladder. Uh, for us, stalling and, and I guess staying in East Maitland, we, we made that decision that we're going to hang in there for the project. But mm. in doing that, um, I'm probably going to hold myself back a little bit. Yep. Uh, and that was a deliberate decision based on how great this area is, to be honest. The, yeah, kids, okay. the kids got uh, their roots in at the grammar school, you know, they're walking around high-fiving the teachers. They know them so well. My wife's a teacher's aide up there now as well. So we really became very quickly uh, at home. part of the community as well. Yeah, part of the community. We grew up in Camden, um, so it very much feels like Camden used to be. Mm-hmm. Sort of 20, 30 years ago, it's got this, yeah, okay. this boom happening here. And so we felt very at home quickly. And I think... Um, as long as Stockland were committed to doing the project, we were keen to stay. So did you always, because I know I'm part of the community and I remember yep. when it stalled and I thought, oh, this will never happen. Yep. But you were unwavering this was going to happen at some point. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's right. A, a fair comment. A lot of comments did come through from the community. This will never happen. Come on, Stockland. And we knew that. And I felt that pressure and I saw it as well. But I knew from my conversations internally there was always the commitment to do okay. it. And we did have some challenges trying to get... You know, there was the, the issue with Meyer and David Jones, what's mm. the future with department stores. The GFC was the one that hit us in yeah, 2010. Like that was the big thing, I remember that. The yeah. GFC hit, I thought you, you missed your time. The, yep. the mining booms occurred, then the GFC gets gets the area or gets yep. the world. 
oh no, I think Stockland's missed their their time. So yeah. that was my worry. But yeah, let's tell me about the project because it's been what two and a half, three years in terms of yeah, the, the, it would have been fun, difficult. You know, there would have been so many different things that you've had to deal with. Twenty-seven month project. Yeah, yeah. step so me through it. I can't. Because it's massive. Can't What's, what was the number? It's gone now. Well, in the end, it, the project was four hundred and nineteen million. So, yep. so I was saying twenty ten, it was three twenty, three thirty, and by the time we got around to it, four hundred and twenty million dollar project. So, it, it was a great opportunity for me personally, for the guys in the centre there, that my team around me. It's hard to imagine any of us will get a, an opportunity to a project yeah. of that size in their region. You know, in their region, in our careers, that's such a big project. The centre's. Um, just amazing now, you know, to be able to bring uh, what Maitland needed in regards mm-hmm. to dining and entertainment, you know, the new Hoyts, it's amazing. So the end product. It is. Like you say, it fantastic. changes community. You know, yep. I've got three young girls and <clears throat> my eldest is now a teenager. Yep. And in the school holidays, the number of times that she came here and, and wandered around the centre and then went to the movies with a friend and we felt comfortable with her doing that. And hopefully in the next couple of years, that's where she's going to work. That's right. So, you know, that impacts so many different lives. Yep. So, so step me through some of the pain of the project because it, it's a massive project. Yeah. Look, the it was, logistics. It's funny. The start, we had multiplex start. You know, I think the biggest uh, challenge at the beginning was that demolition period. Yep. You know, they took out the front half of the centre. I remember they flooded the centre. <laughs> uh, just as, geez, it was just about um, three months into the project and... There was a pipe that they'd capped on accident and there's this huge storm, water couldn't get away and we ended up flooding nine tenancies that had just vacated that day because yeah, we wow. were about to demo, so we were so lucky. But, uh, yeah, we had water through the centre. I remember a month later they put the bucket through. I don't want to uh, stir up <laughs> multiplex too much, but they put the bucket through the NBN yep. and we lost FPOS for 48 hours. So we have these challenges where we're trying to keep the retailers happy. Because that's uh, your job. Yeah, the, absolutely. The retail businesses are, are the core yeah. to your centre. They're so our got, customer. Yeah, you've got to make sure your customer's happy as well as the customers parking their cars, wandering through the centre, getting lost, whatever it might be. Yeah. You've got that duality. Yeah. And then you've got this behemoth coming. Correct. So, yeah, that was a very interesting period. Uh, huge big demo in the front part of the centre and just trying to keep customers through and keep those existing retailers trading. For an operational centre, it was it wasn't too bad for me. We had that hoarding along the front part of the centre and all the, you know, the huge demo up to Mitchell Drive. So for an operational view, it was pretty good where we could just have the car park underneath and keep the main yep. majors still trading and keep those existing retailers trading okay. Uh, it fell away in that first period mm. and we all had to hang pretty tight and think about the long game and what's going to happen here because... Yeah, I remember you lost the food court. Yeah, I we thought lost that all was the food. No food. interesting that you know that's a, a big draw card, I suppose, to families and and people in the community to come and shop, but also eat or eat and then take them somewhere else in the space. Yep. Without having that draw card, I thought, wow, how are they going to continue here? That's right, and I was part of that too. So I think I ate sushi for uh, <laughs> fourteen months. Yep. So yeah, I don't eat a lot of sushi anymore. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Losing the food court was a big. Uh, hit and we had to look at that too yep when we looked at the scheme we we're like do we take the food court out and just push through that front part of the center and really get on with it or do we start sort of try and stage it a bit and keep some of the food and go around it but it would have added another six 12 months to the program when yeah. we looked so at you that you had to make that decision so we made that call let's just get in push through the front as hard as we can and get out 
we've seen other developments where they've gone on a bit long and you start to lose the mm. attention of your customer. Yep. And they will go, you know, some people will go and try other centers and then you've got to bring them back. Mm. So there w- it was a deliberate decision that we can just get in there, go as hard as we can. And we're really blessed with weather. Mm. Uh, we lost a couple of days with wind, I think, when we couldn't operate yeah, okay. the crane. Wow. But we had, I mean, when I say blessed, you know, there's the drought, yeah, the which is terrible. Caring, but um, in regards to that project, Multiplex were really lucky that it, they were able to just get in and... Because did you deliver it early? Did it come early? We did get on some re- retail early. We were yep. able to bring stages on early. The, the completion date was still the end, but that first stage was April. Mm-hmm. It wasn't due to come on until August in the original scheme. So yep. we started getting retail on earlier. And then, that's again, that's about getting people interested and getting them back and not mm-hmm. losing their attention by just having nothing happening yep. for so long. Uh, so, yeah, no, it was good. Okay. And tell me about the end product, what you've done. Well, I think... You know, the big thing for the community, when I got here, you could see, you know, we've often talked about the leakage in this area. Yeah, There's leakage a huge is massive. Of money leaving the area, people having to drive elsewhere to get, you know, a nice suit, a nice tie for a wedding, um, some gifts, whatever it might be, christenings, family, birthdays, things like that. This centre has always been super, super strong for your, for your basic needs and your supermarket shopping. Uh, but really undercooked with that extra usage. Yeah, you're right. If I wanted a new business shirt for, for myself... Where do you go? Two years ago, I, I go to Newcastle. Katara, yeah. yeah. So DJ's. now I've got choice. Got choice. So we saw that was really undercooked in regards to food and for fashion and entertainment as well. So there was a lot of focus on trying to get that cinema in at the end and time mm. zone where we could just complement the dining. And we had to work hard with that with Stockland to get a little bit extra cash and that's what pushed it up over the 400 to do yep. the cinema. But I think now it really gives that complete offer where people can come and dine, cinemas straight above the courtyard there. The connectivity is great. And, um, oh, I still sit in there and go, am I in Maitland? I know. Well, that's the good thing about the courtyard, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. You don't feel like you're in a shopping centre, do you? No, not at all. So I think we've been really, um, yeah, we took my, really clever about that, how yeah, they did that. My work team, we were celebrating uh, one of our staff's first year anniversary this year and we thought you know what we'll go and have something at the courtyard and we went and had Chinese and we were just like we're in a restaurant yeah it's nice and look you should talk about all during that delay when we're saying what do we do Mm. um and we knew the project was still coming we were at the same time everyone saying what's Stockland doing we we were reinventing the scheme every time to see if it if there's anything better we can do yep and you'd often see the old dining in shopping centers where you're trying to get that outside uh, feel that ambient you know at yep. night and uh, hang around and get some natural fresh air and sit outside all that sort of stuff you see it at castle towers but originally the scheme was going to face mitchell drive you'd have all those restaurants mm. facing okay and you'd sit there and you know look, look over to the yeah the road and you know a little bit of bulky goods and um you get quite hammered by that westerly mm. so what happened was we looked at the scheme and said, let's flip them back inside and open up the roof instead. Mm. Um, there was a lot of talk that Katara had done the rooftop, but yep. um, we were miles ahead and we often say we beat Westfield, but we just hadn't started yet. So yeah, okay. uh, we had yeah decided deliberately to flip those restaurants back inside, um, open up the roof, and by that way as well, you keep the customer inside. You don't have to ask them to leave and walk yep. out onto the street to get to the restaurants. So now you've got this beautiful space where you're inside the shopping centre, but you don't really, you know, you don't no, really you don't feel, feel like, like you it. are. No, absolutely. They are. They, you're right. They're connected, but they're not. 
Yeah. You feel like you're in a different zone, but then if you do need to duck into JB Hi-Fi or wherever, you can quite, yeah, that's quite right. easily. So. so that delay ended up being a blessing for us. Yeah, okay. At the time, we're thinking, and I'm frustrated because I'm knowing that other people within the business are jumping along and getting these new roles and I was but I was committed to doing Green Hills. You wanted to finish it. But I'm still frustrated saying, come on, what are we doing? Are we going to do a new scheme again? Are you serious? Um, But look what happened. Mm. We get a great courtyard. You know, in in the end we did DJs instead of Maya, which I think you you look at it now, Maya's, they're still unsure of where they're going and DJs are reinventing, done a beautiful single floor concept and uh, you know we were able to get the cinema in as well and the cinema wasn't in the original scheme either mm. so it, it evolved over that time and yeah, in the okay. end I think so everyone's better, better for it yep. yep okay great stuff so it was frustrating but look at the end so in terms of your career so you've had some success post uh, the Green Hills you're in a new role yeah so since then um, I've now been uh, offered the New South Wales South region which is which is good. So I've got nine centres now. So I, I do a little bit of travelling mm-hmm. and it's great to mix it up as well. So my region starts sort of from Sydney down to Nowra and out to Bathurst. So interestingly, you're not looking after Green Hills at all? Not at Green Hills <laughs> at all. They've cut the cord and uh, the, they've brought a new centre manager over there from Glendale now. She's in there having a look. Yep. But, but So you're managing a region that you're not living in as well? That's right. Yeah, okay. And that's... It's look, a challenge? It is a challenge. There's a little bit of travel and um, learning new centres but it's exciting again for me because now I'm able to take these learnings that I've yep. picked up through Green Hills and apply them to these other centre managers you know yeah. and they've got their own challenges as well are they going to develop in their centres I was about to say is there any big ones coming down south that you're going to be in yes be able to play with that's right so there's remixes on all of these centres there's always plans in master planning and can we just do a remix? Can we, you know, or do we want to sell the asset? Is it not? Has it, you know, outlived its purpose? Yeah, okay. So there's all these higher level conversations that in the centre you're not generally exposed to. So mm. I'm really excited again and feel reinvigorated because yep. I'm at a, a new, new yeah, a new point, and it's another level of conversation. So um, hopefully I can take something back to these centre managers now and talk to them about the things I've picked up at Green Hills and even withholding for that period of time, what do you do? Yep. What can you do to keep yourself motivated and your team motivated? You know, looking for your short wins, not just focus on that long goal. If I'd focus on Green Hills when I got there in 2010 yep. and think it's not going to finish till 2018, you know, I would have gone nuts. I'd yeah. be back on the seniors who were playing golf. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I was going to ask, do you still play? <laughs> Uh, not much. Not much? Not much, not much. So that the passion's play... died? Yeah. Or is it just the injury? Um, yeah, passion probably. And I think I've played a couple of times with the CEO of Stockland. He, yep. he knows I'm a golf pro. That's probably why he's kept me employed. He loves his <laughs> golf. I played with him a couple of times. Use it to uh, your advantage. He loves it. Yeah, use it to your advantage. And, uh, but other than that, I haven't played much. Yep. It's just, I think when you've played it professionally as well, which is a bit of a shame because yeah. you love... You grew up just wanting to hit golf balls. All I wanted to do was yep. walk around with a golf club and hit balls, drive my mum crazy, um, take me to the golf course. Uh, so the love... I still watch it. Like I was yep. watching the golf this morning. Yeah, okay. I was watching the PGA this morning. Um, but, yeah, you know, the, I think the the fact that I probably can't play as well as I used to. Yeah. And in your head, you still see the same shots. Absolutely. And then I'll hit it sideways and then I'll just want to contemplate snapping my clubs <laughs> so i just avoid the golf course but maybe one day cool all right we have the time machine on our podcast 
career conversations time machine and we go back to 20 year old Chris if you could give him advice today given what you know what would that advice be uh, that's a good question as well so I think to be honest uh, to myself and to anyone else young I would say don't be afraid to jump yep to take a risk um, I think sometimes it's easy to stay in your comfort zone and and you see a lot of people and you don't want to take that away from them but grow up and live and stay in the same town and spend their whole life there and that's okay but I don't for me I think not stretching themselves yeah not stretching themselves and don't be afraid to say yes I think it's sometimes it's very easy to say no and uh, because you are in your comfort zone I've moved around a lot and there's been a lot of tough calls on that do we do it and Mm -hmm. really nervous and uncertain about where we're going to end up absolutely Um, my wife has been very supportive in let's give it a go Um, if it doesn't work out we'll do something else Mm -hmm. so I guess for me it's a good reminder to me that all those little points where we've said let's give it another go let's try it like I said we've moved 14 15 times the last 20 years um, chasing things around and even this latest role you know there's a bit of travel to Nara to Bathurst and I live one minute from the Green Hill Centre I could have said no I'm not interested so will, will you move or will you stay here no, we're going to stay. Yeah, good. And uh, Stockland have been really fantastic with their flexible work arrangements and said, you know, if you need to travel and go to your centres, travel. If you can work from, you know, Green Hills, stay there and work yep. from there. So they've been very accommodating so I can do the job and still do it from here because, as I said, we've got our roots in. And, yeah, we love the place and we want to see what this centre does yeah. to the community. Yeah. Well, I think you have, like... a. I remember like I've been a part of the business chamber for years yeah. and when the project was in full swing, we'd ask Chris to come and give us a bit of an update and we'd average 45, 50 people to meetings. When you were coming, we'd get 100 because it wasn't because of you. No. I'll say that. <laughs> My <laughs> no, fish just jokes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, no, it was because people wanted to know. Yeah. The community wanted to know what's going to happen at Stockholm. What's the new shops? Is there going to be a cinema? All that stuff. It was excitement that was building. Yeah. So you're right. I'm also the same. I loved it. I loved walking through it and going, wow, I can't believe that shop's in Maitland or we've got a courtyard where we can take the kids and enjoy a dinner and go upstairs to watch a movie. This is fantastic. So yeah. it's exciting to see what's next and who else will come in and you know, that sort of stuff's fun. It is, and that's been, you know, so satisfying. And I think that's the thing that really all the guys at Stockland try and do. They look for those little wins and know that what you're going to give back to the community. Hmm. So, you know, the council's been so supportive with us through, you know, as well with Maitland, uh, the levy, what we can do there and try and complement the levy and those small retailers. You know, that's a bit of a niche market down there. Uh, Even with Reading and Hoyt's, we did so much research to, to show to that they could, viable. yeah, that they could both work together and they'd both have a different offer. So, we wanted to just really strengthen the community. Uh, everyone moving here for that affordable living and and stop them having the need to travel. Mm. Everyone's moved out here to have that nice lifestyle yep. and not drive forty five minutes to try and get a bite to eat. So, yep. uh, yeah, it was about giving this great space to the community. There's a few more exciting retailers to come over there. I yeah, still good. walk over there in my breaks and go and have a look, even yeah. though yeah, they've pushed me out out of my office over there now. <laughs> I'll walk over there, you know, a couple of times a week and have a look at the at the changes and, and see what's coming. So it's yeah, it's exciting. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the Career Conversations podcast. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers, mate. 
A big thank you again today to our guest, Chris Travers. It was a really open and honest conversation, and I got to learn a lot about your background, your history, and why you're passionate about what you do. If you'd like to learn more about Chris, check him out on LinkedIn. But also, if you love our podcasts, please subscribe via iTunes. Check us out at SoundCloud, where you can always find them on our website at hrgroup.com.au slash podcast. Until next time, I'm Craig McGregor.